Welcome to another edition of Birds of a Feather. This is your girl, AJ, the Superban Princess, here with a more appropriate edition of this episode. Apparently, the last episode that I tried to, and I was on a really, really good tangent and train of thought, but because since I've got my new Galaxy S9 Plus, I wasn't aware of where my finger was and it was covering the mic, so you didn't really hear about 15 minutes worth of the first uh, 30 minutes of that podcast. So I'm going to start over. I'm going to simplify. Um, basically running around back to the issue that I had last night while watching the Sixers and the Flyers win, but the Sixers had lost Friday night and I didn't understand why there had been a three game uh, trend for them other than the idea that the philosophy that's going through them and the Eagles right now seem a little similar when it comes to the coaching staff. There are a lot of issues that are going on on both teams, Eagles and Sixers, that require a lot of mental stability. And I don't know why there would be instability at this point in the juncture of the Sixers season because they're still kind of three months, not even three months in exactly, but about three months in. And I think that at this point it's kind of – the, the question has to be posed to Brett Brown, is he still relying on some of his uh, switching in and out on the roster during the game that's causing a lot of the chemistry to get messed up? Is he not knowing which players to use in the fourth quarter when it's garbage time and which players to use when, say, Embiid is having an off day or, or Ben's not deciding to shoot or be more aggressive? Does he know when to put Trey Burke in? Does he know when to put Matisse Thibel in? Does he know when to put Furkan in? Um, I think there's still issues with this team with communication and even with Mike Scott. Sometimes I think he can get thrown off his game if he's not on the off the bench a little more. Um, it takes a while for you to pop up those threes. And if Tobias is having a cold night, which sometimes he does, um, it, it forces him to make himself want to be more aggressive under the rim if he's not getting any three pointers. And Joel Embiid, too, although there's been a lot of progress with Joel, he's been quietly making himself um an example on the team, whether or not he's being silly anymore or being uh, jokey jokey is remains to be seen. Um, I obviously addressed that in the other podcast about how I think Joel might have taken that whole point a little too seriously um, about changing his whole demeanor. Um, I mean, honestly, he cares about what he does, um, because if if he didn't, he wouldn't have been known for crying at the end of uh, the, the last second uh, round exit of the playoffs last year to Toronto to a freaking quadruple doink. And uh, he wouldn't be so sensitive about the subject about him, you know, playing around on, on the on the on the court and laughing and joking. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think that Embiid is kind of forgetting what kind of a balance you can have as a professional. You can have fun, but only at the point in the game when you already got the game in hand. The problem last year was the Sixers didn't know how to finish a lot of what they started, and when they started to get Tobias and Mike Scott, and they got that little boost into the postseason, it really made them realize what they weren't doing um, without them. Now you got a little more help on the bench. And now the problem is the coach. The coach doesn't seem to know when to swap people in the roster and when to stay with a steady core. Um, the starting five doesn't always play well together. Um, I think what I'm learning now, especially even from uh, guys on Twitter, that uh, the coach realizes that Ben and Joel have a different style. And sometimes they don't always gel unless they have the supporting cast that helps them um excel so Trey Burke to me is like a baby AI I really do think that he reminds me of AI when he first uh, came into the league the same kind of hustle the same kind of dribble um you don't really see the guys on the Sixers uh, use their handles a lot you know like uh Kyrie Irving does which I 
I kind of miss because I kind of think that street ball needs to be injected a little bit more into NBA these days. And that's probably why there are so many crazy ref calls, because um, the minute that teams do start playing aggressive, they instantly get a call. Um, so maybe that's why, but I'd prefer the Sixers to get a little nastier on defense and a lot more nastier on offense. I think Tobias sometimes can tune out when he doesn't feel comfortable, which he needs to get over. But I've also noticed, um, in that three losing, uh, losing game streak and then them, them winning last night, I think that Tobias realized he can push through other ways where he goes right to the dunk. I mean, right to the basket and dunks, or if every now and then he just gets a, a quick little jumper. Um, sometimes I think even James Ennis has come off the bench helping a lot, especially if Matisse is off or if Furkan's not really doing anything on defense, which is normal. Um, James Ennis has become a a big, uh, help. Um, the sad news is that the most recent thing we've discovered as of last night is that Matisse is now out with a bone bruise and they say indefinitely because they don't really know, but they say in the next two weeks, it should become clear whether or not he'll be playing, um, uh, for the next couple of weeks or if he's going to be out for a month or what. Um, bone bruises, I'm sure, uh, can be achy. And if it's his knee, then it's an issue of him being able to get up and cut and, you know, get, uh, be able to work his defense like he's been doing so excellently as a rookie. So if he's out, uh, there's your energy starter there. So it most likely will be a lot more Trey um, the minute that the uh, offense side starts to lag. Um, Trey may not be the best defense player, but Iverson wasn't either. But where Trey may lack in that side, um, in that skill, he is definitely going to make up for being a fast presence on the fast break and also when he gets out on the three-point shooters. Where Ben doesn't do it consecutively, Trey Burke is there to pick him up. So these guys coming off the bench are definitely going to fit their supporting roles a lot more as they start to gel. But I think that the big issue that I had in the last podcast that didn't uh, quite make the air very well Um, I just feel like the mentality of the coaches between Doug Peterson on the Eagles, not trusting, um, certain players early in the season to, to mask for what they weren't able to do on offense earlier in the season after Deshaun went down. I think that the coaches are not knowing their roster very well so that they could have probably used someone like Greg Ward, um, earlier in the season that probably could have, um, masked what whatever was going on mentally with Nelson again and what wasn't registering at all with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. So I just feel like both the coaching staffs of the Eagles and the Sixers are kind of swapping uh, mentalities at times where they think they know their team, but they really don't. And yes, player execution is very important. I do feel like the Eagles have slacked in that area, especially on defense at times, definitely on offense, because Carson's basically worked with nothing since his key men went down, Alshon, Deshaun, um, Nelly started kind of phasing out. And then... um. Now they've added Robert Davis from the Redskins, but they didn't even use him. So I think that maybe today we'll see more of Robert Davis to uh, mask the fact that JJ supposedly is out with a knee injury or foot injury. I think he has a foot injury. Either way, they were saying that JJ was most likely not going to start today's game. So if they do inject JJ later, I just hope it's going to be for like a brief one yard touchdown pass. Like don't make him feel like he has to be the deep threat. Um, I would even like to see the Eagles do something ambitious for once in the first series and just go deep, just see if Greg Ward shows up or if Robert Davis is, you know, runs the right route and just see if one of them or even hell, Miles Sanders, <laughs> if the wide receivers end up just being decoys for, you know, Miles when he gets a run or when Boston Scott decides to maybe do a punt return successfully, maybe Carson may not even have to worry about the lack of wide receiver uh, core because the running backs 
and the tight ends may uh, make up for that lack. And I expect to see a lot more Dallas Goddard today as opposed to Ertz because Cowboys know how to slow down Ertz. But Ertz could actually get fed up with it and decide to start fighting through um, a lot of his coverage and maybe get some key first downs. Um, Where Ertz can't uh, make up for in the red zone, I think that Dallas could easily do it. I'm still mad about that game last year where Dallas kind of had a really good uh, route and uh, got past two players and then they ended up calling it back for some crappy call that didn't make any sense and it would have gotten us in the lead that game and we put a, possibly would have won by a field goal. So I hope that we don't see the same crap with the uh, officials during this game because it's a home Phillies game, a home game. But at the same time, that was a home game too last year and the refs seemed like they just wanted to go with whatever was going against the Eagles. And so it really doesn't matter home or not. Sometimes the refs just they kind of just love to throw flags. And if there's anything that I've learned from the last Redskins game with the Eagles, uh, the refs decide to throw flags where they feel um, the team that's not doing anything um, seems less disciplined. So I'm praying that we don't have any false starts with uh, Jason Peters. And if so, I really hope they put Dillard in for the second half just for the sake of it. And if they're in the lead, put Dillard in just to give Jason a rest. Um, because we obviously know Jason is definitely done this year. I mean, I I didn't think he was going to come back this year, but I really think he's really done after this year. Um, they still have to win the division by playing the Giants next week. Now, mind you, they may not play Carson all four quarters. They may decide to let him rest. And uh, but then again, knowing Carson, he'll be probably so happy he felt he finished a whole season that he probably won't allow himself to sit down. And plus, if they want to win the division, they will have to play all the starters for the Giants game unless they're so ahead of them that by fourth quarter they can put McCown in and all the reserves, whoever's left on the reserves at this point. So this whole thought process with this podcast today before this game is just to say I'm not shocked either way what happens with this game. I'm glad it's a 425 start. I have time to kind of, you know, eat, absorb my thoughts and uh, look at all the other games that are going on. Like presently right now, the Titans are ahead the first half against the Saints in Tennessee. And uh, apparently the Ravens aren't doing so hot right now, but they have the Steelers and the uh, Jets game on, on channel three. So I don't even really even know what's going on, but apparently Mason Rudolph is playing for the Steelers right now. So I assume that they're not trusting Duck Hodges right now. So it could be a lot of shockers to end this weekend out. Um, Saturday games were pretty uh, surprising more in the, uh, Oh, Ravens are winning 14, six. Um, it was pretty shocking to see a lot of the teams kind of fall the way they did. The Patriots had a chance to lose again last yesterday, but of course they didn't because they're the Patriots. And uh, the Jets, um, the Bills kind of showed up at the last minute and underplayed what they could. But at the end of the day, these teams could honestly end up taking L's that should be taking W's. And then there's a lot of teams that should be taking W's and take L's. So you just never know where the NFL is going to end up. Truly any given Sunday, um, now that the Saturday games have started, you know that we're getting close to week 17 playoff time births. Some people will not have to play probably after next week because they already clinched their divisions. So hopefully the Eagles will play for one more week and it'll actually mean something. So I honestly think that the Eagles could win a close one, 21, 20 or 24, 20 or 38, 31. I don't know. Honestly, I feel like I can't even judge until the fourth quarter what's going to happen because halftime they could be totally behind and then come right back in the fourth. So we'll see. We'll just see. Both teams won it bad. They're both seven and seven. 
Dak has a shoulder issue, but I don't think that's going to stop him from throwing hard on the Eagles. In fact, I, I doubt that he won't be throwing deep for the first series that he gets a shot. And um, yeah, I just want to see a more aggressive play by the offense as much as they can. I don't care who's not playing at this point. It's not an excuse anymore. I just want to see my team show up. And that's all any fan wants. You just want to see your your team show up by all means necessary. So we'll see what happens. And most likely if it's that much of an exciting game or that aggravating a game, I may uh, have a part two of this podcast for the end of the Sunday game. So we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, go birds. AJ, this is Bourbon Princess, Birds of a Feather. I'm out. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon, guys. Welcome to Birds of a Feather. This is your girl, AJ, the Suburban Princess, with a part two of her earlier podcast, playing off the idea of how the Sixers and the Eagles coaching staff issues could possibly be creating the demise that have been happening between both teams. But not to piggyback on the negative, because that's pretty much where I was going on before the game started. But now that the game is over, we can all take a deep breath. That was a very close win, 17-9 by the Eagles against the Cowboys. But it was a very telling win because no matter what happened that didn't work for them in the middle of that second quarter halftime ending, where the Eagles could have easily went up 17 already, but they had a lot of miscommunications, which happened. Uh, Wentz had a couple balls sail, but not as many as he used to. Um, I, I honestly see the trust building between him and Miles Sanders as well as Greg Ward, because Greg Ward had a nice little run. Um, Boston Scott definitely showed up, especially on the balls that Carson kind of lollygagged to him. Um, There were times that obviously uh, the false starts due to Jason Peters again, and then moments where Vitae slipped on coverage and it caused Carson to kind of throw a little crazy after that and lose a drive. Um, There were several moments too on the coaching staff that once again, Doug overthought fourth and one or third and one where they could have just ran it either threw it or Carson dropped it or it just didn't make it to the other side of the 10 point marker so at this point I'm just looking at it from the perspective of there are just going to be ways that Carson and coach can sometimes not be on the same page my thing is as long as they pick it up and don't lag in the fourth when it really really matters which is what it seemed like it was going to happen because at some point um, there were a lot of three and outs and stupid plays that caused the Dallas to get a lot more um, drives in. But the problem was the Cowboys never scored a touchdown in our end zone and in their end zone. So it just looked like no matter what the Eagles weren't doing, the Dallas Cowboys were not capitalizing on, which is good. But it also honestly showed that some of that hype about Dak's shoulder being a little out of it may have been true. I thought it was maybe just them trying to put out stupid stuff in the press to try to get every fan riled up to think that, oh yeah, we got this win and then the Eagles believe it. But at this point, you know, (laughs) professional sports players, they just can't trust the media no matter what. They know that as soon as they're liked, they can be hated by the fans and by the articles that are written or typed up or tweeted. So I think at this point, the only people who probably took any of that noise uh, personally were the fans. And so I'm kind of glad to see that for once the media wasn't lying about it and that Dak did kind of show that he was not on his best game. No matter how many throws he made to Cooper and to um, Gallup that were possible touchdowns, they either didn't catch it or they went right into coverage and either Avante or 
surprisingly, Sidney Jones made remarkable plays on the ball before uh, the wide receiver could catch them. So Sidney Jones definitely was shockingly a bright spot in, in the most critical play in the fourth that pretty much threw them out of any hopes of trying to come back in the fourth. I mean, literally it came down to the last minute and seconds and Sydney showed up without any PI and uh, he turned around when he needed to and um, Avante Maddox showed up. I mean, there were plays that Avante did with, but I'm starting to realize that whether it's Jalen Mills or whoever that's known to bite on the double move, um, I do think it's very hard to cover certain players. I mean, there are just guys that are 10 feet taller than you and that have lots of speed. And God forbid, if they get a route right and you don't guesstimate it correctly, you're going to lose that battle. But it doesn't excuse the fact that we have lacked in that area and fans are tired of watching cornerbacks getting burnt every year. So needless to say, Jalen Mills went down again with a bad ankle issue, but I don't know if that's the foot that he just recovered from for two seasons back. But I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping it's a newer injury that he can overcome because they still got to play the Giants to win the division next week. Now, Dallas can very easily beat Redskins next week because apparently Dwayne Haskins is down. Now, I don't know who their backup to him is, but that probably puts Case Keenum back in there. And uh, that's a very good shot of him beating them, especially if now they don't feel like they're really playing for anything at this point, although they could still technically win the division ahead of us. But next week is still a game that counts, unfortunately, because that's how bad this division has been. Um, but it would be really nice to know if the Eagles can go into uh, Giants Stadium and, you know, easily win without taking them for granted because they still have Saquon. Daniel Jones pretty much played better than he's paid, played all season since he backed up Eli. And uh, now that the Eagles beat the Giants at home, you would think that they have an even better shot of beating them in their own house if Eli is not starting. Um, let's just hope that maybe the front four can get to Daniel Jones because apparently it took all game for either Coach Schwartz or the front four to actually blitz and get to quarterback. It literally took until what, the end of the third or somewhere in the fourth, they finally had Zach Dak more than once. Um, I don't know why uh, Schwartz puts his defense in that position in the second half, but it seems to be the biggest Achilles heel of the defense that kind of takes them out of, uh, I don't know, the position to, to beat their man. And I think, again, that comes down to coaching versus player strategy. Now, mind you, we don't have the greatest DB core. Um, yes, Malcolm Jenkins is aging, but there were times that Malcolm was all up in those plays. So I do still think Malcolm is a sound veteran on the team. But whatever happens after this season's over, I will not be shocked if he leaves, if they decide not to pay him, or if they lowball him because of his age. But there's a lot of guys on this uh, DB team that cannot really be replaced quickly unless the Eagles go ham in the draft and get a whole bunch of guaranteed uh, defensive backs that are worthy of replacing. Because honestly, the problem with the Eagles is they have a lot of guys that they need to replace, but they don't have the capital and or uh, yeah, capital or I don't know, I guess not the guts in certain places, in certain places, because I think that's precisely why Jason Peters stayed and why Darren Sproles stayed. And now that Sproles is formally retired, um, Peters will probably be making that announcement sooner or later. Cause I think he's been one of the main reasons too, why in the first half, a lot of plays didn't manifest into drives on top of the fact that Jake Elliott missed two cru crucial kicks that probably could have put them up. 10 points, if not, you know, 12, um, in the first half. So 
I, I just feel like there's so many things that could have went right, but luckily Dallas was not on their game. And if their quarterback is not on their game and a lot of their play calling on their side as well was pretty uh, conservative. Um, it just shows you how much they one underestimated the Eagles and how much that the players don't really trust the coaching staff because if they really knew what they were supposed to do at those times, those players would have been in the correct spots. But if Dak's shoulder is really, you know, frigging with his throwing uh, motion, um, there's a lot of plays that he could have probably taken back. And I think that um, there's too much riding on Dak to get a big contract for him to have uh, risk playing like that. I think there might have been times as much, as much as he had time to run, he probably should have ran instead of through through because thrown because he had open opportunities because the defense wasn't getting to him. So both teams played just like two seven, seven teams, if you really think about it. But a lot of people would have never thought that Carson would have been able to step up even in the times that it seems like he was getting a little lost with play calling. But I think him and Doug were willing to, you know, hash it out on the sidelines enough. And then with key injuries that happened to not only Fletch, and Jalen, but also uh, Zach Ertz got popped apparently earlier in the game, which I missed, but uh, it was a rib issue. And the rumor was a lot of people were saying on Twitter that possibly he could have got a shot and gotten taped up and came back in the game. I didn't think he was out for the whole game. I figured he was just going to be, uh, they're probably going to put him in there before halftime or the second half, I thought, because I figured Dallas Goddard was making such an impact. Um, and there were times that Dallas and Carson were not on the same page, but they quickly made up for it later. Dallas was definitely at his best this game, uh, flaws and all. But I do think that Dallas has become a definite threat to where Zach Gertz, if he's ailing and doesn't uh, suit up next week in, da in New York, Dallas is definitely going to be a good backup, if not a starting TD for sure. I mean, starting tight end next year depending on Zach Ertz deciding to stay for another year or renegotiate his contract, whatever, because I know he's a free agent. So I'm hoping that he just finishes his career here because he pretty much has grown into a totally different player since he stayed. And I would find it weird if he decided to go to another team. Um, as much as he's had so much success as one of the historic tight ends in Eagles history. So if I were him, I would I'd take the low ball. He can make his money other places. Him and Julie are pretty much out there all over the place as like the Phillies couple for the commercials now. So I don't think it would kill Zach to be lowballed a little bit, but you never know. I mean, funny things that could be happening next week. I mean, or excuse me, next season, because who knows? We don't even know if the front office is going to be the same. There might be a few coaching shakeups. There's definitely going to be um, a lot of um, OC coordinator, DC coordinators uh, probably changing. So or defensive coordinators changing. So I would not be shocked if a lot of uh, familiar faces are gone next year. It'll be weird, but you don't want to change too much because Carson finally got a chemistry and some of the veteran players will definitely be coming back and becoming Carson's uh, comfort zone again. But for him adjusting to the crazy roster changes and you know dealing with his inaccuracies, I think Carson Wentz has definitely been the comeback player of the season. And I'm very proud of him and I'm very proud of our fans for tolerating even all the bad things they've said in frustration because I don't take some of it personally, although some people I know are just not fans of his. Um, you just learn as a fan to grow and suffer with your team. And it literally does feel like suffering. <laughs> Every last few games has been a nail biter and they shouldn't be. But division games are always supposed to be tough because that's the opponent you know the most. So 
I don't expect the Giants game to be a wash, but I also hopefully don't expect the Eagles to walk in there and lollygag like they don't need that win because they do. Unfortunately, they have to work for every freaking game this season. So banged up and bruised, whatever. Tape it up, take a shot, get some acupuncture, get a massage, do what you got to do as long as it's not totally broken um, and go out there and beat the pants off the Giants next week. And then I will be fully impressed to see a 17 week squad push through adversity and end up winning the NFC East after what, four or five seasons they haven't won it? No, excuse me, 2017. So three years. So at this point now, I just want to see success to keep, you know, this team intact and Miles Sanders, God bless him for being our running back. Best decision the Eagles have made thus far. Boston Scott has redeemed himself from, you know, fumbleitis. And hopefully Corey Clement will come back because I do believe he is a good third uh, running back where, you know, he if he doesn't make space or break tackles, he definitely, I know, is good on the outside. And he can get Carson's back when um, he's all over the place because Corey knows Carson and they had good chemistry for the most part. But yes, it has been Corey's second season being injured, and I know that he's probably keeping himself busy, being community-faced and staying home and getting himself right. But I just hope that it doesn't end up him being like only a one-year deal next year and then him slowly phased out to another team. I would rather he stay, but now I get nervous because the Seahawks apparently lost two of their major running backs. So you kind of wonder since Jay Ajayi hasn't been really used since he's been re-signed, you know, do they want to go with him for like one yard touchdowns while he's sitting on the bench? You know, do they decide to take Corey if he's not really that unhealthy anymore? You know, just, you just never know what could happen. Um, I want all the running backs to stay. Um, Jay Ajayi, I, I, I can't tell if he's really a good player or not anymore because they keep saying that, but I felt like the one play they put him in didn't make sense anyway, so he didn't get to really demonstrate whether or not he still got his speed. If you know he's not that fast, you need to put him in situations where they only need like a one-yard run, but if they don't even feel like he can get going, then it was kind of stupid signing, you know, if he's still hanging around, I guess waiting for Boston Scott or Miles Sanders to get majorly injured which most likely won't happen unless they're obviously playing in playoffs. Um, they may not, they may need Jai, so you just never know. But it must be aggravating to come back from rehabbing and finding that when you go back to your own team, there's still no room for you to fit in. So either way, he gets paid. I mean, it may be not as much as the average red, veteran minimum, but he's making more than me. So who knows? That might be a to-be-continued thing, and that may end up making more sense if the Eagles do in fact reach reach the playoffs and get past the first round because by then, oh, praise the Lord, if they can do it and get past San Francisco, um, Deshaun will be back and he will be the deep threat that Carson has missed so badly. So I say all that to say I'm very happy to witness a win. It was a little nerve wracking. I had to admit I had to drink some wine earlier because I didn't have faith that they could finish out, but I also was cautious. I didn't want to get too excited when they had good plays, but I felt like the biggest improvement was that they started off pretty smooth. And even though they only came up came up with three in the first series, um, you could tell already that the offense was booming a lot better. As long as they trust the run to develop a lot of uh, plays, Uh, Carson won't overthrow. Carson won't feel forced to throw. Carson won't feel forced to run. The times that he did run tonight were very smart. And so I'm glad that he saved his body from getting hit too much. Um, And I think he's definitely 
gonna regret that he didn't get that first down in the first time he ran because he literally, literally, literally was that close to either throwing it or just hopping over the line just to get it. And it killed the run when he ended up not getting a completion the following throw. So I think there are moments that Carson's gonna look back and say, I'm an idiot, why didn't I just do that? But I didn't feel like he was fighting himself as much as he'd been doing all year. And I felt like it's ridiculous that it took week 15 and 16 for him to finally un, you know, unleash the, clear out the cobwebs and, you know, let the plays come to him. But sometimes when you've just been through so much on the sidelines, rehabbing from injury, from injury, um, I'm sure it makes him press even harder to when he gets that opportunity to just do everything right. And what happens is when you want to do everything right, you become stubborn because you feel like this is your only time. And every time that you snap the ball is probably your last time and you just never know. So I think that Carson has had his fair share of mental gymnastics, but I think for the first time, the last two, three weeks, he's been playing pretty free. Yeah, not error-free. He'll never be error-free. So we just all have to get that out of our minds. It's just the way he plays. He's a gunslinger. He's rough. He's raw. He's just never going to be that polished quarterback. But sometimes that's what you need. You kind of just need a guy who's willing to take the hits to get his team uh, to victory. So as far as I'm concerned, I've, I've loved this QB. He's frustrated me, yes. Sometimes when he throws stuff, I just don't know where the hell he's going with it. But he quickly makes up for it or the next play will end up being more well thought out or the next series because I think this was the first time tonight I noticed that if him and Doug were not on the same page they kind of fussed it out they found out that the play that they probably were going to go for didn't really work and they wouldn't do it again so I didn't feel like the same errors happened later there were new errors every time but I do feel like they're starting to meet in the middle and I'm hoping that next year when they get rid of Carson Walsh because that guy didn't help um, that at some point they bring in somebody who I don't know, maybe Press Taylor is not helping Carson either, but I just hope they bring back somebody who is more along the veins of what Carson needed to keep him disciplined in his technique. Um, I think the one thing with DiFilippo was maybe his militaristic style maybe wasn't really rubbing Carson the right way, but it kept him honest and it kept him disciplined. He didn't, he didn't fall back into weird techniques. He played the smoothest he could ever play. So if we can get somebody who's a little bit of both type of personalities in terms of coaching, then we could probably get Carson locked in a lot sooner and stay on his feet and play smart for a whole season next year. So 2020 could probably be even more, more exciting than this one and not exciting in the sense that, you know, roller coaster, but inciting in the sense that you might really see the true MVP that Carson can be next year once all these little kinks personnel-wise are worked out because I think part of what makes this ship go is the people that are behind the controls and I think the problem is there's been a lot of miscommunication as to what Carson really needs to do and hence when I've compared in previous podcasts about how you know Brett Brown I think has the same issues uh, with his coaching ability and it not translating to Ben or Embiid or some of the other players Sometimes you just have to learn to compromise and, you know, men are stubborn naturally. So I think that it's an ego thing too. Um, it's a lot to compromise and, um, you know, bite your tongue on things that you normally are comfortable doing. But if you notice it's not helping your team, then that's when you kind of have to say, all right, I get it. It's not working. So I think a lot of humble pie had to be swallowed this year and a lot of fans had to pray and stay humble because 
I sure as hell wasn't going to brag about whether or not they won or not because I knew this game was going to be a nail biter because again, they're a opponent that they've had trouble with in the last couple years since the Super Bowl. So to see them now play and struggle as they have in the last two years, um, it's refreshing to know that finally the Dallas Cowboys started to look like the Dallas Cowboys that we always play. Now, mind you, it could change, hopefully, if they do finally get rid of Jason Garrett and have a guy who knows how to come in there and you know, expose weaknesses. So who knows? It could be the former coach of the Packers. It could be, you know, there are tons of coaches, coaches that are sitting out there waiting for their opportunity. So who who knows? It might be DiFilippo. <laughs> they might decide to go in there and let DiFilippo take over, but I don't know. Um, whatever happens with the Cowboys, I sure as hell would love to swap Amari Cooper for one of our wide receivers that aren't really lasting here, like Nelson. Um, I would love anybody to come over to our team from a rival division team because they would know the secrets that we could get to keep them away from our exposing the D-backs uh, that can't keep up. But once again, shout out to Sidney Jones because Lord knows the minute he made one impact that actually worked, he definitely uh, helped this team survive. And there's nothing more refreshing than knowing somebody came in at the right time, even if they hadn't played for most of the year because of you know basic inability. Um, you kind of question why we even drafted him. Um, and you know what? That may save him. That may keep him on the roster just because he might be those guys you don't use all the time. You just use when that situation comes up and that's it. Um, but they definitely need to explore more cornerbacks. We might need some Ohio State guys. <laughs> we might need some guys from good schools that are known for their D-backs because we definitely do not have that luck on our side. And that is something that will not help the DBs, especially if Fletcher is still struggling or still ailing or still double teamed and not able to get to the quarterback like he normally did. So we'll see what happens. It's gonna be interesting to see how the defense uh, switches up as the new year comes about. And it will be interesting to see how Schwartz uh, learns to adjust like he had been doing for the past couple weeks until you know the defense got figured out again. Um, and also be interesting to see if Schwartz is even here next year. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they let him go, but I also just wonder who could be a better replacement for him as far as a defensive mind. I mean, Twitter guys have been put, putting out there that they would like the guy that, um, the coach that was just fired from the Panthers as uh, a D coordinator, whatever, whatever helps. I mean, if it gets, you know, it makes the players honest and you have coaches that translate, like you can't be doing that crap anymore. That's what we need, because I think the problem is being nice with these players is allowing them to be complacent, and which is why, to me, this whole season ended up the way it was. I think they thought they were good as they were on paper and that they didn't have to do that much, and they got a rude awakening in a 7-7 season. So now that they're 8-7, and seven, we can talk about next week, but I won't even worry about that for now, because we know for sure that Eli's not playing, so... If Daniel Jones decides to have a really good day, he is a pretty good thrower, so they better just be prepared for him to throw on any of the corner sides. So I'm just praying that at least one or two or three sacks come out of that game and uh, the defense can hold. So we'll see what happens. But once again, I'm, I'm ecstatic for this win, but I'm also very temperate because I know that there's still a lot of football left and there's still a lot of better teams ahead of us for a reason. So if they do end up making it to the playoffs after next week's game, which they cannot overlook, um, 
I don't know what to think at that point. I'm just going to be happy that they make a first round bye. I mean, that they make a first round uh, playoff berth. So if they do, because Dallas, like I said, could easily beat the Redskins next week, that's going to be a wonderful thing. And even if they don't win the title, it doesn't matter as long as they have a shot to get in the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. But my vote is that the Eagles will make it at this point because all you need to do is get that little slight window of, of want and desire and then get a matching feel from your team that's all you need everything else will just flow but the problem was that he didn't have the trust Carson didn't have the trust he didn't adapt to the changes that were going on with the rosters very well and so he was over anticipating a lot of his throws so now that he sees where his guys are and at times like I said tonight Boston Scott realized that he could have overthrown him but he stayed with the ball and, and still managed to get the first down that's how you just, you got to know and feel your quarterback. He's never going to be a straight line. He can be very erratic, but you just got to roll with it because eventually he'll straighten himself up once he sees what he's doing. So that all said, I'm definitely going to bed with a very clear head and a very relaxed demeanor. And I'm just, I'm very thankful to be Eagles fan tonight. I'm just very thankful that um, whatever Cowboys mistakes um, exposed a lot of the Eagles will and want to win in their own uh, in their own uh, house. So they took the house back and it was very, very want warranted. And whether or not it seemed like they were gonna lose it toward the end, it, which it did, I'm just glad to know that the defense showed up when they needed to, especially Sidney Jones, shout out to him. And happy birthday to Malcolm Jenkins. Apparently it's his birthday, so I'm sure he was very happy to turn another year older this weekend, knowing that his birds had his back, so. Thank you very much for listening, and I'm sure the next podcast, um, if I can get my buddy Ed to come back and we can discuss this whole year that's been going um, as the 2019 starts to wind down and just get our overall thoughts, um, maybe even go game to game. We'll see. Um, but if not, thanks for listening to Birds of a Feather, AJ's Bird and Princess, and uh, have a good night, guys, and go, well, let's fly. Fly, Eagles fly. Go Birds. Take care. Welcome to another edition of Birds of a Feather. This is your girl, AJ, the Suburban Princess, with some random thoughts about high expectations as a fan. We're all guilty of this, and especially this season, the Eagles have made us lower our bar a lot in order to still stick around in week 17, hoping that we see an even more convincing win as they did versus the Dallas Cowboys at home on Sunday. This game has been flexed to 425, and I'm fine with that, but I just hope it's worth it as far as the first half. I want the first half to be just as uh, energetic as the beginning of this Cowboys game start started. And as I'm watching the rerun right now on NFL Network, I realized that there were some plays that Carson could definitely have taken back and gotten at least two more touchdowns, and Jake Elliott's foot needs to be straight uh, and get every single point that he can for the team when they don't punch it in the red zone. The biggest issue this week is Zacherts being uh, obviously sore from his cracked rib. I personally think he shouldn't play. I don't want him to play if he's going to be a liability. I forget what game it was this season. It wasn't too long ago, but he had already had, um, did he pull, pull his groin or hamstring or something he had earlier muscle-wise? And uh, 
they're talking about it now, right now on the, on the update on NFL network. But I think that he, uh, is best when he's at least 80% and he is definitely not 80%. So I'd rather him not be a liability and for him to just sit this one out. If they have to put him in, make him a decoy. Um, and if he gets a one yard catch, you know, touchdown run, so be it, but don't have him out in space if they are going to use him. But I do feel like whatever that last game that I can't remember, he wasn't very helpful. And I think that messes up his whole, it messes up his whole flow. And you can tell his, he's not really in it mentally. He's just kind of just trying to be out there and be a, you know, the rah-rah guy. But, um, and he always usually is in every game. So I think for him, it's weird if he's out, which I totally understand. But I just for the sake of hopefully knowing that this game will end in a nice win, I just don't want Zach to further hurt another rib because I know that a lot of players play through that, but you can make it worse if you get hit on the other side. And the Giants don't play fair when they're, especially when they're desperate to be spoilered um, this weekend because they know the Eagles need this win. Um, so yeah, we're definitely probably going to get the fiercest of the Giants defense. And as a fan watching, I will not be shocked if the Eagles are dragging, I mean, are lagging in the score. But I also expect it to be not in overtime like the last game was. And that game shouldn't even been in overtime. But that's how the division has been this year. And it hasn't really been a walk in the park for any of the four teams, which is sad in itself. But um, the Redskins play play Dallas too. So you don't know whether Haskins is playing or not. Um, He went out with an injury last weekend. Um, but Case Keenum still probably wants to solidify why he should be a starting tight end. I mean, a starting QB um, over Haskins. So I'm sure he's trying desperately uh, to get his name back out there. Um, he can play pretty focused when he wants to. I mean, he played the Eagles pretty good on the opening game. But I do think that um, if he really wants it, he'll have the Redskins uh, in tip-top shape or at least somewhat focused for that game. Um, just to at least end the season on a pretty positive note for them. Um, But it depends because like the Eagles-Cowboys game this past Sunday was, every NFC East division game is going to be like pulling teeth at some point. So I'm not shocked if the game starts slow or if the Giants take over quickly. But I'm hoping that uh, Fletch and all them can finally get a lot more sacks than they have all season in this game because I think the key to that is getting – Daniel Jones shook early so that he's not really focused enough to throw the ball good, but he does throw a good ball. So I won't be shocked if every now and then the corners will whiff. Um, It wouldn't be a Giants game if it's not competitive, but I just hope it's not in overtime. Most likely it won't be because it'll be in New York. And even if fans aren't really invested in the game, they were, they're probably going to want to see the Eagles go down and lose their shot, especially because right now momentum is working in their favor. But I wouldn't be shocked if Dallas beats Redskins, but it still won't mean anything if the Eagles win. I do think the Eagles will win like 37 to 10 or 31 to 20, something like that, because I feel like they could put enough points on the board that Dallas can uh, at least be a little scared if they're not doing their stuff by fourth quarter. Um, Usually these games are the games that they pull players when they know they already got the, uh, when they already got the uh, division. So if by fourth quarter Carson's actually chilling and McCown's in, then you know it's a pretty good indication that the Cowboys are losing. So 
pretty much I'll go by that. I'll say I'll go by fourth quarter, two minute warning and just see what they end up doing with um, Carson as far as if he's still playing by then. I mean, he's a competitor and this year hasn't been that great. So I'm sure he feels pressed to play every snap. And also, I think he's just that type of player that he doesn't like to sit if he doesn't have to. Um, But I think it would be smart if they took him out in the last part of the fourth quarter or the mid fourth quarter if the Cowboys are mailing it in. Um, These types of games are desperate. And sometimes when they're desperate, usually the Eagles play the best. Um, don't ask me why all this season they couldn't play just as focused, but I think almost like to where, how the Sixers handled their excellent win last night, um, at home versus, uh, the Bucks. I think that some players have a tendency to take off mentally on certain games because they know, um, that there are plenty other games to make up for it. Granted, it's probably not the smartest, uh, strategy, but, um, record wise, I don't think, the Sixers are worried about whether they'll make the division this year. I think they're more worried about um, if the chemistry uh, gets better between now and uh, April or May when it really determines where they're going to end up in the playoffs. Um, I definitely agree with uh, Joel in the sense that I think he is kind of knowing when to turn himself down in terms of energy and then when to turn up. So that's good that he is maturing that much as a player that he knows now to conserve his energy and his silliness for certain parts of the game that are already um, when the Sixers are already playing as a unit. Now, when they're only playing kind of part-time and it's just mostly him, he just has to take over. Um, When it's games where it's kind of split between him, Tobias and Ben, or I don't know, some of the bench guys get in there like Mike or, or Trey or Furkan when he decides to hit consecutive threes out of nowhere, um, then I think Joel can kind of fall back. But a lot of people probably assume that Joel takes off when he wants to anyway, but I think he's making it known that I'm aware of where we were last year and I'm aware of how I play and I'm aware that my health can sometimes be an issue, but I pray that this time around we will get to the finals and we will win. And I want him to feel that way because I feel like he's one of those guys that he's had too many disappointments. So I think it's just very important for him at this point in his career to end with at least a runner up uh, voting slot of defensive player of the year or be the reason that Sixers get into the finals. I think a lot of times he relied on Ben and others to pick him up and they just didn't take the call. But I also think now Ben is even starting to realize where he's needed probably as a player to humble himself and not be so defensive about, you know, whether he shoots or he doesn't and just let it flow. And yes, there are some games that he probably still is having brain farts and not thinking to pull up. But I think that the tendencies that he still has to make a jumper every now and then, even if he doesn't make it, is a sign that he's willing to elevate his game a little bit more each each moment he has that urge. So granted, it is kind of a pain in the ass to wait for it. But, you know, like I said with the beginning of this podcast, if you have too many high expectations on a certain player or a team, you know, or any just thing in life, um, you have to be prepared or be prepared for the mental up and down battle that happens when that thing doesn't deliver. Um, I can't just abandon my team. (laughs) I have to watch my football. It's pretty much helped me get through a lot of ups and downs myself. So I'm going to watch games, whether or not the Eagles are in it or not, because I like to watch football, but it does feel less, uh, 
have a less desire to be as jealous of other teams when they're in the playoffs and my Eagles aren't. So I think that that alone is probably the plus of knowing that maybe the Eagles have finally put everything together at the right time. And what a time for Carson to be gelling with total no names um, as opposed to the starting running backs that were with him before than now, you know, going into a new year. I think Carson's birthday is actually coming up because I think he's like, he's the end of December. So for him to win and then his birthday coming up and then a new, I guess, a new season technically starting after the new year um, and they have fresh legs and hopefully Deshaun. So I think that there are a lot of pluses to getting past this last hurdle before they all mentally prepare for another three-game battle. Um, uh, Granted, you know, no one wants to think past the second round. I just want them to get there and finish, and I want them to finish convincingly. If they win, it's a bonus, but I just want to be able to see Deshaun to be able to play in the playoffs knowing that they have as good a shot as any then not able to see him recover and see the field again before the summer's out. I mean, for the season's out. Now, mind you, like I said, there's probably going to be a lot of decisions made after January that'll probably be a little heartbreaking, but I'm just praying that Deshaun is not going to be one of those decisions. Um, being that his circumstance kind of took him for a loop, um, I would see no reason for him to not be an Eagle still next year, at least to finish that spot. Um, or what he started, because basically what he started was probably the best game, um, or at least the anticipation of the best game of the season, and he wasn't able to finish the rest of the of the season. So I think it would just be almost like it would just be so ironic if all of a sudden he ends up finishing in his postseason career as a as a winner. Um, I don't want to say what kind of winner, obviously, but I don't even want to put those two words together right now because I'm I've decided one game at a time is the only way we fans can mentally handle this very very inconsistent team this season and I think it's also been hard to believe that you know whatever we thought might have come out of this season actually didn't manifest if you look back at the games one by one there were so many opportunities um, that the Eagles had to flip the season around early Um, but the injuries kind of was a deterrent. And then I think the overall, uh, play calling was so, I guess, bland that it really caused a lot of dissension amongst the team, but probably not as bad as, you know, the media obviously tried to make it seem. I think, I think the team on top of like everything else with the changing, you know, roster, I think the Eagles are too boring of a team to really make controversial. I mean, I think it's good that they're boring, but if this was the only controversy that came out of this whole year, knowing that they're still playing in the postseason, um, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean, if it took just one outsider to kind of convince a few people that maybe possibly Carson may not be liked at times, I just find it hilarious in that sense. People who go to lengths to try to make other people look bad, it just shows you what kind of character they had from the door. Now, mind you, the rat that was there was not trying to come at Karsten. I think he was just trying to come at Malcolm and other guys that he never really liked to begin with. But he's getting his dose of karma in in more ways than one. 
So I refused even to acknowledge his name because he wasn't even really the factor. I think if anything, he might've just been the magnifying glass that showed a lot of those players that not everybody um, has good intentions once they join the team. Um, And it also shows that, you know, we may not have really known what was really truly going on with this team until things started to go wrong. And maybe it was good that it went wrong when it did because it gave a lot of the new players and, and the vet players chance to really pull back and say, how did we get here? And that was probably the best thing for them because sometimes life just throws curveballs constantly until you learn the lesson. And maybe this year, a lot of the players, including Carson, really needed humbling. And as a human being, humbling, humility of any kind at any time in your life is probably the biggest blessing you can ever get. I am totally a witness to that. So I just wanted to have this podcast just to let that out about how sometimes setting yourself up for unrealistic expectations will always set you up for a downfall because, you know, none of us know these players personally. We feel like we do, but we don't. And we'd all like to envision that they're, you know, they want to win the Super Bowl like a rest, the all of us fans want to. But the reality is if your team is what it is, you know, that's why the record is what it is. You know, they may be better than a seven and seven, but apparently not. The, apparently not. So now that they are officially added to seven and seven and they're eight and seven, they have one more game to be nine and seven. And you just pray that everything that they might have seen tonight or at, la- at the Sunday night game, Sunday afternoon game, that they will see at the Giants game and be able to readjust quicker than they ever have. The favorite saying that you hear a lot now in press conferences is back up against the wall. So probably this is the perfect part of the season right now for Carson Wentz. Someone like him, who is such a lover of God, probably thrives off of stuff like this because it seems like whenever you play things safe in life, you never really fully learn anything. And I think this year, even the players who aren't playing right now can look back and say, damn, that's why we went through all that. So my only prayer now post-Christmas is that we see a a bigger, and I don't know, not even bigger, a more hopeful turnout to the end of this regular season and hopefully an even more eye-opening postseason. Um, I do feel like the Eagles will win. I do. I know it's not going to be easy because, again, like I said, divisional games never are because they're the teams that know you the best. But I do know one thing. It definitely is not going to end up in overtime. Um, but you see how that could have happened with both teams kind of playing on the same kind of level. And then when Eli played, he always finds a way to get his team open, his uh, wide receivers open because he does have still has a great arm in my eyes. But He's just not that intimidating of a presence to make me want to feel that the Giants could, you know, take the Eagles by the by the back of the head <laughs> and just slam them down and kill them. I mean, we also don't know um, how healthy totally Jalen Mills is now because I feel like he's had a lot of recent injuries sna- uh, sneak up again. So I'm just hoping that Jalen shows up, Avante shows up, and Fletch shows up. Because Cowboys are one thing, but beating the Giants twice is the ultimate uh, 
kiss my ass to this division. We own it. Take back what's ours, all that stuff. So let's just pray one play at a time. Play the, pray the Schwartz will be with the defense and everything will work as planned. And hopefully we'll be waiting for, uh, the Seahawks and the 49ers game to resume, um, to finish and then find out who we're playing. I personally think the Eagles can take on the Seahawks now that they're a little beat up and, but I feel like it would be more exciting if they played the 49ers. Um, I think that Garoppolo can get sacked at least once or twice. And I don't know. I just feel like it would be such a fast game that I think that this team could be purely built on speed alone. So I do feel like that motivation of how fast the 49ers play might amp up the Eagles uh, defense even more. Um, I think it just will be more exciting than the Seahawks game. So I'm kind of hoping Jimmy G wins this weekend. But with Beast Mode returning, I don't know. Even if he's not truly as fast as he used to be, I can kind of still see Marshawn Lynch having a, having a little bit of a field day. But we'll see what happens. I, I'm excited about this Sunday. And I'm definitely excited about the new year about to approach us because I am so ready to kiss 2019 goodbye. And until this game comes, if I have any more thoughts, I will definitely share with Birds of a Feather. If you're listening, thanks for tuning in if you are. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, kids. Enjoy the rest of the week. Tomorrow's Friday. Thank you, Lord. The last full football Friday of the regular season. Enjoy it. Fly, Eagles, fly. And uh, go Birds. Take care.